Well, today is an exciting day. Every Sunday is a, is a great day of celebration, and we always get excited about Sundays. But there's just something special about Mother's Day, and today is Mother's Day. And so I want to say to all the mothers out there, uh, God bless you, we appreciate you, and thank you for joining in to worship with us today. And once again, let me just say, Happy Mother's Day. But that's not the only reason today is an exciting day. Today is an exciting day because I'm inviting you to a wedding today. I don't know about you, but I love weddings. Uh, I listened to a Zoom conference this week with the governor of our state, and as the person who was hosting the, the Zoom call uh, thank the governor for taking his time to invest in uh, the pastors of the South Carolina Baptist Convention. The governor started off his remarks by saying, you know, I love South Carolina Baptist. He said, in fact, in 1978, my wife and I were married at the First Baptist Church of Spartanburg by Dr. Alastair Walker. And he did a pretty good job because we've lasted all these years and we've had a great marriage. So I really do appreciate uh, Baptist in a very special way. Well, weddings can be some of the most exciting days of a lifetime, can't they? Uh, over the past years, I literally have performed hundreds and hundreds of wedding ceremonies. Um, I perform weddings where the couple invested just $50. That's what it costs to go to the courthouse and get a marriage license. And I've invested in weddings and performed weddings where uh, the couples have invested $150,000, dollars uh, But the fact remains, whether it's $50 or whether it's $250,000, there is an excitement about weddings that's just almost unspeakable. There's a celebration, there's an excitement, there's a festive atmosphere, whether it's just three of us in a room or whether it's 3,000 people in a room. The first institution that God ordained on earth and established on earth was the marriage. Back in Genesis, God said to Adam and Eve, um, you know, come together as husband and wife and my blessing is upon you. Martin Luther said it this way. He says, there is no more lovely, friendly, or charming relationship, communion, or company than a good marriage. And he was exactly right. The announcement of any marriage has a ring of excitement surrounding it. And I'm inviting you today to a true royal wedding. Psalm 45 is a song of praise to a king on his wedding day. And the psalmist is celebrating the joy and the blessings and the excitement, the, 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 the celebration of the day of the marriage of his king. But it's more than that. As we conquer these challenging days of disease and discouragement, I invite you to join with me as we dive into the text of this psalm and discover the depth of all God is teaching us about His great plan, about His big plan, all-encompassing plan that includes you and me. 
So let's read the chapter together. I'll read aloud and you follow along with me. The superscript defines the psalm. It says, For the choir director, according to the lilies, a mascal of the sons of Korah, a love song. And so in the superscript, which is inspired, uh, the, the, the psalm is described as one that's very important because professional singers come along and sing. And there's a, a very popular tune that is set to the words of this song called The Lilies. So let's begin reading with verse 1. My heart is moved by a noble theme as I recite my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most handsome of men. Grace flows from your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Mighty warrior, strap your sword at your side. In your majesty and splendor, in your splendor, ride triumphantly in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. May your right hand show your awe-inspiring acts. Your sharpened arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. Your love, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy more than your companions. Myrrh, aloes, and cassia perfume all your garments. From ivory palaces, harps bring you joy. King's daughters are among your honored women. The queen adorned with gold from Ophir stands at your right hand. Listen, daughter, pay attention and consider. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Bow down to him, for he is your Lord. The daughter of Tyre, the wealthy people, will seek your favor with gifts. In her chamber, the royal daughter is all glorious, her clothing embroidered with gold. In colorful garments, she is led to the king. After her, the virgins, her companions, are brought to you. They are led in with gladness and rejoicing. They enter the king's palace. Your sons will succeed your ancestors. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will cause your name to be remembered for all generations. Therefore, the peoples will praise you forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. So welcome. Welcome to the royal wedding today. As part of the marriage, I want to invite you to do four things today. So mark them as we move through this text today. First of all, the writer of this psalm encourages us to give praise through beautiful words. He gives praise as sort of an introduction to his accolades to the king. He gives praise through beautiful words. Verse 1, the heart of the psalmist was overcome with emotion. Uh, his passion for the psalmist was stirred. Look at it. His feelings were converted into words, he says, like those from the pen of a skillful writer. See, the psalmist was not the groom. 
And the psalmist was not the bride. He was using his imagination in a beautiful way. And that's what I want to encourage you to do today. I want to encourage you to be just like this psalmist and let your imagination run wild as you participate in this royal wedding today. I have a hard time writing appropriate words even for a Mother's Day card uh, like today, but not the psalmist. He was pouring out his meaningful words, his joyful words, describing his relationship and his appreciation for his king. And I can only imagine writing words that are adequate for a royal couple like this. So who is the king of your life? Who who occupies the place in your life where you can pour out beautiful words of uh, affirmation and beautiful accolades toward your king? I pray today that your king is King Jesus. I pray today that he is the one that you write beautiful words to describe. In fact, I want to give you an assignment for this week or for the weeks to come or maybe even uh, for the rest of your life. During these days of uncertainty, though, I challenge you to try to write down your thoughts about the beauty of Jesus. First thing every morning, I want you to join with me in just reading a few verses from the New Testament. And then as you read these verses from the New Testament, I want to challenge you to write down words of praise for for Jesus right out of that scripture text because you can't read the New Testament. You can't even read the Old Testament without giving words of affirmation, words of praise about Jesus. What I'm asking you to do is join me during these days in letting your mind be flooded with the beautiful thoughts of our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus. And as the ropes of this pandemic loosen, join me in being aggressive about positive ministry to Jesus as you write down these words that describe who Jesus is, as well as what He is continuing to do for you and me. I'll guarantee you, your heart can't help but be overflowing with joy and overflowing with praise for our King. Everybody's talking these days about a new normal. And wouldn't it be great if writing down the words every day about our wonderful King Jesus became our new normal? When you do that, I promise you, your life is going to be filled with praises to God and praises to our Lord Jesus. That's what was happening to the psalm. That's the picture of the words of the psalmist here as he began to write down the words that flowed in his appreciation to his king. I invite you to celebrate Jesus by praising him. Secondly, I invite you to give praise to the one who is worthy of our praise. Verse 2 reminds us, the psalmist reminds us as he paints this beautiful description of the king, these gracious words describe the groom in glowing terms. Look at it. He was full of splendor. His words and decrees were grace anointed, and he brought blessing to his people. What is grace? 
What does it mean to have grace-anointed words flowing about this king that he was describing? Well, grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is God giving you and me not just something, but giving us more than we deserve. I don't know about you, but I can get excited about that. I can get excited about God giving me more than I deserve. God, can, God is giving me more than um, you know, anything that I could earn or anything I could work for. That's what His grace is. Grace is God's unmerited favor. And as the writer of this psalm talks about his king, he affirms the fact that his words are grace-anointed. This reminds me of another grace-filled groom. It reminds me of Jesus. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus taught in the synagogue, and very early in his ministry, as recorded in Luke chapter 4 and verse 22, the Bible says, they were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Does that ring a bell from Psalm 45? Then in John chapter 7 and verse 46, as the enemies of Jesus were trying to trick him and trying to attack him, the crowd around said this about Jesus in John chapter 7 and verse 46, no man ever spoke like this. See, the words of Jesus were filled and overflowing with grace and truth. There was power in the words that Jesus spoke. But there's something even more than that to get excited about. Jesus doesn't just speak about words of grace and truth. Jesus is the word of truth. Jesus is the word of grace. In John's gospel, chapter 1, in verse 1, the Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed his glory the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What a perfect picture of our King Jesus. Meekness and strength, grace and truth, justice and righteousness as revealed in Psalm 44 and verse 2, revealed that He is the worthy groom to be praised. Every passage of Scripture in the Old Testament points toward the need of this grace and truth that Jesus is. Every verse in the New Testament points back to celebrate the fact that He is the grace and He is the truth, the living Word of God. The end of verse 2 affirms that God has blessed forever and ever. God has blessed this King forever and ever. You know, that reminds me of a special anointing spoken by the prophet Nathan back in 2 Samuel verse 7 and verse 16. The prophet Nathan prophesied to King David just before he died that your house and kingdom will endure before me 
forever, and your throne will be established forever. That's the king that we can worship. That's the king that's inviting us to his wedding today. Jesus, the direct descendant of David, is this king. And the psalmist continues his description. He describes the king, his king, in verse 3 through 5, as the groom, he is a mighty commander and chief of the army of his kingdom. The psalmist defines him as one who defends his country with the sword. His glorious majesty, the king, defended the cause of truth and humility and justice. He had awesome strength. He showed heroic deeds. And he demanded heroic honor. He was the defender of his people. He loved his people. He cared about his people. And he executed justice and righteousness. Today, our country, just like most countries, have commander-in-chiefs. We have people who generally would sit behind the desk and they would give their generals assignments to defend our country, but not King Jesus and not the king that this psalmist was honoring. He stepped out in front. He wielded the sword himself. And I pray today that you will come to understand that the psalmist is, is addressing a king who is more than just a king on this earth. In fact, verses 3 through 5 reminds us that this king is a king who wielded the sword. It reminds me of another passage of scripture in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, where you as a believer in Jesus Christ can acquire in your life an offensive weapon, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You have that possibility, that potential, to wield the sword, which is the Word of God, working in your life as well. Then in verses 6 through 7, the psalmist takes a turn. He addresses the king as God himself. He addressed the king as both king and God. He addresses both of them as God. God's throne is recognized as presiding over the king's throne. Verse 6, he says, Your throne, God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy more than your companions. Do you see where this king is God himself? How could this be? One who loves righteousness and hates wickedness and demonstrates a passion for holiness. A groom who is anointed with the oil of joy from the Lord. He's set apart by God for a special task. Well, the New Testament defines how this can be. The New Testament describes the relationship between God and Jesus perfectly in Hebrews chapter 1, 
verses 8 and 9. We'll look at this this week in our bridge guide, but let me just read it for you right now. Verse 8 of Hebrews 1, But to the Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. Verse 9, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. See, this king is Jesus himself. This king can be your king. He is the ultimate king, and there is no other king like him. He is the anointed one. He is the infinitely high, yet humble king. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, the writer of Philippians said instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Creator, God, who was there in the beginning, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's one with God. And He is worthy of your praise. He's worthy of the praise of the whole world. So I encourage you to celebrate by giving Him your praise today. Do you see it? The psalmist describes a decorated, festive party going on to celebrate at this wedding because he's celebrating the wedding of royalty. He's celebrating the, the wedding of his king. In verses 8 and 9, he talks about the fact that expensive kingly fragrances accompanied royal robes and stringed instruments filled the celebration. Can't you just imagine the party that's going on, the celebration that's going on as this wedding takes place? On July 29th, 1981, there was a royal wedding that was displayed almost all around the world. In fact, Princess Diana and Princess Charles had this wedding thrown for them where, believe it or not, in 1981, over a billion people either gathered at the wedding ceremony in London or watched by television or listened by radio as wedding vows were exchanged. I remember that morning my wife got up at 3.30 in the morning and tuned in to that royal wedding ceremony. The wedding party was so vast. 
Now, as this psalmist describes the wedding of his king, he describes the fact that it was decorated and festive with all kinds of dignitaries there enjoying these festivities. So today, that's why I am inviting you to join the celebration, to join the wedding party of this, our King, King Jesus himself. So I invite you, I invite you to praise the King, to praise the Groom. But there's another praise I want you to give today. Thirdly, I want you to join me in giving praise for the bride. Not to the bride, but for the bride. And this is where I can really get excited. This bride forsakes all she is and all she has and exchanges it for all the king is and all that he has. Verses 10 through 15, the psalmist describes how the time had come for the bride to leave her family, to leave her father and mother and cleave to her new husband, the king. She was the object of his desire. Now think about that. Follow me here. She was the object of his desire. She honored him. And she respected him. She bowed down before him, giving her his devotion. These wealthy foreigners that had come with gifts to celebrate the wedding... These attendants that came alongside with the bride and with the groom paled into insignificance as the bride gave attention to the groom and the groom gave attention to the bride. This was a joyful celebration, but it was also a significant celebration because, again, the bride was giving up all that she was and all that she had to gain the glory and honor of all the king was and all the king had. Now this is why this is so, so important for us today. Everything the king was, was hers. And everything the king had was hers. She exchanged that. She exchanged what she had. She exchanged what she was for what he had and who he was. King Jesus claims the church as his bride. And if you could only capture the significance of that, because Jesus is asking you and me today, Jesus is asking the church to give up all that we are and all that we have for a much better position. To exchange what we are and what we have for who he is and where he is. When you give your life to Jesus, you have the opportunity to forsake all that you are in your sin and in your flesh. And Jesus wants to exchange that for his righteousness and his perfection, for everything that he is and everything that he has. There's a great significance to the bride of Christ today, the church. 
I know some people take the church very lightly. Some people put the church way down on their radar screen, their priority list, and maybe even off of their list altogether. They say things like, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't care that much about the church. That's impossible. You can't love Jesus without loving the church because the church is his bride. I want to tell you something. For 45 years, I have been married to my wife. And if you want to get my, my, my skin ruffled up, if you want to get me riled up, you say something negative about my wife. I'm going to defend her to the end because I love her. I will protect her. I'll do anything to elevate her and escalate her. And that's the way Jesus feels about his church. He loves the church. He died for the church. And you and I ought to do everything we can to bow down and worship Him and honor Him just like this bride was doing for her King. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27, the writer of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says, He did this to present the church to Himself in splendor without wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Do you see it? The bride of Christ is God's righteousness, God's perfection in human flesh. He is desirous of us in order to make us righteous, in order to make us lovely, in order to make us like Him. Not because of anything we do or anything we have in us in the flesh, but simply because of what He has done for us. You are desirable to the King. And He deserves our honor. He deserves our worship. See, on the cross, Jesus sacrificed His blood. He became the perfect sacrifice to exchange His perfection for your sin. Reality is, sin is what separates you from God. And you can't be righteous. You can't be holy. You can't be a part of the bride of Christ in your own flesh. But Jesus made the sacrifice to make that exchange possible where He exchanges your sin for His righteousness. Only through His sacrificial blood can we become righteous and worthy to be His precious bride. When you believe in Him, all that is His becomes yours. And He takes all that's yours and changes it into His perfection. In our court system in the United States and in many places around the world, a prosecuting attorney's job is to make sure that a guilty person is convicted and restitution is made for the wrong that that person has done. Are you aware that Jesus has paid that price that He's made possible that restitution between you and God by His very own blood that He shed on the cross? So I invite you today to take the position 
of just being proud because of what He has done for you and praise Him for the opportunity of you being the bride. You and I have that privileged position today. So finally today, as we wrap up this psalm, I want to challenge you and invite you to give praise to God. We've given praise to the groom. We've given praise for the bride. And I want to encourage you to join me in giving praise to God. Praise Him for the future hope and adoration that we can continue to have for the groom throughout all eternity. In verses 16 and 17 of Psalm 45, the psalmist encourages everyone to look forward, look forward to the hope and the future forever and ever. Verse 16, your sons will succeed your ancestors and will make make them princes throughout the land. I will cause your name to be remembered for all generations. Therefore, the peoples will praise you forever and ever. The psalmist takes special pains to realize a very important point. Yes, he celebrated the extravagant royal wedding. And that's awesome. But that was only the beginning. Just like a wedding is only the beginning of a marriage. We put so much emphasis and so much time and energy and many people put so much money into a wedding ceremony. And that's really not the most important thing. The most important thing is investing in the marriage that goes on beyond the initial ceremony. This psalmist looked forward to the day and he saw the day that was going to be even more glorious than this wedding day. As I said at the beginning, I've performed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of wedding ceremonies. I've done wedding ceremonies in church buildings and in chapels. I've done wedding ceremonies on the beach. I've done wedding ceremonies in the homes of brides and in the homes of grooms. I've done wedding ceremonies uh, in a kayak. And I've done wedding ceremonies on piers and boat docks. I think the most interesting wedding that I've performed was at the hospital. I was chaplain for the week, one week back in the old days in our community when we used to do things like that. And I got a call one Friday night and said, uh, there's a gentleman who has had an accident. His wedding is scheduled for tomorrow, but he and his wedding party did some crazy things last night and He has a compound fracture in both of his legs and he can't leave the hospital. We need you to come to the hospital and do the wedding ceremony at the hospital. My point is, no matter whether it's, um, you know, just three of us together in my home or in someone else's home or in a neutral place or whether it's thousands of people gathered together in a huge party, there is an excitement There's an celebration atmosphere, a celebration atmosphere to every wedding ceremony that happens. But I want you to remember that the most important part of the wedding is what happens after the ceremony, the marriage itself. And a future wedding is coming. There's going to be a marriage ceremony that's going to be incredible. 
And the result of that marriage ceremony is going to be just awesome. Jesus, one day, will celebrate his wedding at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And what a celebration day that's going to be and what a celebration marriage that's going to begin. See, Christ himself will celebrate the joy of his chosen bride, the church. She will be clothed in righteousness. She will have wedding garments that are so much more superior than what this psalmist describes in Psalm 45, made of the righteous acts of his church. Listen as I read Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 8. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like a rumbling of loud thunder. Do you see the celebration here? Do you see the excitement here? Saying, Hallelujah, because of our Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. How can you even read that without getting excited about that great celebration that's come? And where do these righteous acts come from? Again, these righteous acts come from the celebration of Jesus forgiving you of your sin as he sacrificed his life for you on Calvary's cross to become not only your Savior, not only the one who provides forgiveness for your sins, but to become your eternal groom forever and ever and ever. In 1834, a British pastor and songwriter by the name of William Moat was walking down the road one day on his way from his house to his work at his church facility. And as he walked along the road, he began to write down the words of a song. And when he wrote these words down, he entitled them, quote, Gracious Experience of a Christian, end of quote. By the end of the day, he had written four verses, and he took the verses and he stuffed them down in his coat pocket. Later that week, he was visiting one of his friends whose wife was on her deathbed. And as his wife began to pass from this world into eternity, he remembered he couldn't find a hymn book. He didn't have a Bible with him. So he reached into his pocket and he pulled out the words to the hymn that he had just freshly written earlier that week. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then becomes my hope, my stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him 
be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I praise God today and I trust that you will praise God today with me because of the righteousness that He has given and provided for you and me. So church, we can be His bride. 27 years ago on Mother's Day, I saw my mother alive on this earth for the last time. She died that day. Last year, almost on the same day, my brother, whom I grew up with and loved and interacted with and was so close to me, died and went to be with the Lord. Both occasions, my mother's death and my brother's death, brought a sense of momentary sadness to us. But for them, and prayerfully for you, at the moment they pass from life on this earth to life in eternity, real life really just began. And it's only because of the righteousness of Jesus. Not because of what either one of them did, but because of Jesus. So we celebrate today on this Mother's Day remembering that in His righteousness not only are we invited to the wedding feast, not only are we invited as the church to be His bride, but because of Him we have a future hope that will live forever and ever and ever and ever. And we will be adoring Jesus forever and ever and ever. He has made it possible for us to celebrate even in the shadow of deepest darkness. The announcement of any wedding has a ring of excitement surrounding it. And so today, Jesus is inviting you not just to attend a royal wedding, not just to appreciate a royal wedding, but to be part of His royal wedding. The church... His bride will be with Him forever and ever and ever throughout eternity. How could anyone turn down a proposal like that? So by way of application, let me just share two things, two challenges to wrap this up, to draw the net today and try to make an application to your life and my life. First of all, accept the invitation, God's invitation to the royal wedding today. See, the church is the bride of Christ. You were created to be His bride. So let me ask you, have, have you ever trusted Him? Have you ever put your faith in Him? Have you ever trusted Him as your Savior so that you could become part of his bride 
If you've never done that, and if you feel him calling, to you, calling you to himself right now, maybe he's knocking at your heart's door. Maybe you're, you're going through a hard time right now. Maybe you're in the dumps. Maybe you are drowning in a life of sin, and God is calling you to himself. Right now, you can become part of his church. You can become part of the bride of Christ. Would you just bow and pray a simple prayer with me right now? Wherever you are, I know you may be looking at a computer screen or a television screen, but right now, wherever you are, you can invite Jesus to be your Savior and to be your groom. And I want to encourage you to do that right now. Bow with me. God, right now, as we come to you in prayer, thank you for the truth that you are a gracious God. You are a holy God. You are a perfect, righteous God. And God, we confess today that we're sinners. And we understand that our sin separates you from us. We've moved away from you because of our sin. And right now, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Would you pray that right now? If you're far from God, if you've never trusted Him, say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. And somehow you've convinced me today through your word that I believe Jesus died for my sin. And so as simply as I know how today, I commit my life to Jesus. I repent of my sin. I want to turn away from my sin and I want to exchange my sin for His righteousness and let Him apply His righteousness to my life and take my sin on Himself. I don't understand how that works. But I want that to happen in my life right now. So I give my life to Jesus today. I believe in Jesus. I trust Him as my Savior. And I want to spend the rest of my life for Him, celebrating Him. And I want to spend the rest of eternity celebrating Him as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want to invite you to let us know. Please let us know that you prayed that prayer so that we can come alongside you and walk with you and help you with some resources to help you grow as a new believer in Christ. But the second application point is very simple today. It's actually uh, the vision of our church. Today, I want to challenge you to accept God's invitation to make all of life about Jesus. See, when a man and woman come to marriage and bind themselves together in marriage, leave the old behind and cleave to the new, at that very moment they become one flesh and they share all of life together. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say another prayer in just a minute. And again, I want to challenge you to join in singing a wedding song of celebration about your position with God as the bride of Christ. Phil Wickham wrote a song a number of years ago about the beauty of Jesus. And this can be the day of great celebration for you when you commit your life to making all of life about Jesus. Will you join in this celebration? Will you surrender all of your life to Jesus today? Maybe you've trusted Him long ago, but you haven't been living for Him. Commit all of life to Jesus today.
Father, I thank you today that this can be the most exciting proposal that we have ever accepted in our life. God, help us to join together and to celebrate with all of the excitement in the world that, Lord Jesus, you are beautiful. And we celebrate that today because we will be celebrating it throughout all of eternity. In Jesus' name, we continue to worship now. Amen and amen.